Hello! Have you entered our giveaway with Looking Glass Gems? Visit the Pasty Tapes Instagram to enter now. Looking Glass Gems. Beautiful, affordable, crystal rhinestones. Shop LookingGlassGems.com. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Special thanks to superfan BFF level supporters Bella Adana and Kyle H. If you want to join the Pasty Tapes fan club, visit ThePastyTapes.com. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Oh my, it's Show My. It's September, that means the BurlyCon countdown is in full effect. My burlesque calendar runs from like BurlyCon to BurlyCon, where Beehoff is like that mid year checkpoint. Anyway, <laughs> BurlyCon is like my. You know, New Year's Eve and New Year's wrapped into one. It's like where I take the time to pause and look back on all the things that I've done and then like look forward, right? Like you have a whole weekend of meeting new people and learning new things, all of that kind of stuff. Like BurlyCon is where my calendar switches over. Um, I'd love to do an episode or two about the magic of BurlyCon or like how to prep for BurlyCon, something like that. Um, Some of you know that part of my burlesque origin story has to do with BurleyCon. My burlesque origin story is a really long-ass three-part saga, part two being uh, my first BurleyCon, which I attended before my debut. And I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you about BurleyCon. Do you want to talk about BurleyCon? Do you have tips or a funny story or something like that? You can always dial or text into the hotline 1-530-PASTIES. If you want to have a whole conversation or share a story that's longer than three minutes, which is what the voicemail box thingy can hold, send me an email pitch about your BurlyCon story. That's thepacytapes at gmail.com. Special note, I don't work for BurlyCon. I don't work for them anymore. This is, like, not official at all, but I love it. I love BurlyCon. I'm a benefactor. BurlyCon is one of my favorite things in the world. Definitely a life changer. So let's talk about it. Stay tuned for a future episode or episodes on BurlyCon. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. Today's guest is someone I hold near and dear to my heart. We DM every day, usually in the form of memes. We room together at BurlyCon. I ditched my own family early at Thanksgiving to drive down to St. Louis to hang out with this performer and her mom to see Jeez Louise and Pochop do a double feature at the Monocle in St. Louis. What you're listening to is a part of a hella long, super intimate conversation. Just a note before we get into it, uh, we talk about things from World War II to Godzilla to identifying as Asian to divorce. We covered a lot of ground. This babe has all of those cool, gothy vibes I wish I had. She is, like, pretty damn close to, like, what I wanted to be or, like, what I wanted to be friends with when I grew up. And she's incredible. She's, like, the spoopy girl of my dreams. This is my conversation with a thing that goes bump and grind in the night. This is Sophie Dumal. I remember meeting you in Nashville. When did you move to Nashville? Um, So I moved to Nashville in 2015, like February 2015. Okay. And then when did you start going to delinquent debutantes? Do you remember? Probably, yeah, probably pretty soon after that, like maybe that summer. I remember like seeing you in some of the classes. I don't remember which class, but we would be in 
like a similar class. I think that was like deep in my like, okay, I'm leaving Nashville soon. I should show up to every single class phase, mm-hmm. which I did. Um, but I remember seeing you and then like being so scared because you looked so fucking cool. And you are cool. Old you. I know. Wow. Sophie Dumal, huge liar. Yeah. <laughs> huge fucking dork. Yeah. And like you were there when I told Freya that I think I want my name to be Show My More. And Freya's like, I don't know what that means. And I'm like, oh, Show My is a dumpling. And I explained like my whole name in like the really, really long form, which then like I was like, if I have to explain my name this much, then like maybe it's a bad name. And you were there and you were there and you said like, I like your name. And then you disappeared into like the night as a puff of bats uh, going out of the delinquent debutante's door. Like that was it. And then I don't think I ever saw you again. Yep. Never again. Uh, But you were doing burlesque before then, right? I was. So I started in Pittsburgh in 2014. So I was pretty new. I'd only done um, a handful of shows around Pittsburgh. And then I did a show in Cleveland and a show at this uh, festival in New York State called Sankofa, which is, uh, they have like one week where it's focused on like arts and then another week where it's focused on almost like spirituality. And a lot of nudists go there, um, which is pretty rad. And my friend and my burlesque mom, uh, Macabre Noir, and her sideshow troupe uh, called Cabaret Vulgaire invited me to go with them. And it was a very interesting experience being up on a stage. And I did my like debut act, which is a very classic. Uh, kind of 1920s styled instrumental from the Chicago soundtrack. But it was very strange to be stripping and then look down into the audience and there's just like naked people in lawn chairs. It felt very unnecessary. So you're stripping and they're naked. And so being told to imagine your audience in their underwear like didn't help because they weren't wearing any. Yeah, I was still nervous. And I was like, oh, the fact that I can see all like all of you I can see in your birth canal. This doesn't make me any less nervous. So I guess I care. I guess I care a lot about this. You do care a lot about this. Okay, so then your first year in burlesque essentially was with with your burlesque mother there. It was in Pittsburgh. Can you tell me more about the troupe? There was Macabre Noir, her partner, Nick Noir. Uh, She does beautiful fan work, and her specialty is glass walking. And then uh, Lilith DeVille is a fantastic friend of mine and we would uh sing together and play instruments you would play a glockenspiel and accordion and i would play guitar and ukulele yeah so deville and i would play tom waits covers and our specialty was uh playing this beautiful ballad called green grass which is it's told from the point of view of someone who's dead and they're talking to someone who's visiting uh their grave basically and telling them to remember like when when they love them so deville and i would sing that and then uh my burlesque mom macabre noir would do this like gorgeous fan dance yeah we would play these these things together uh just kind of like fucking around and then as soon as i moved down to nashville they were like hey we're doing a tom waits tribute show in a few months are you available to come back up so i basically just like made a u-turn in my car after working a few months uh down here in nashville and did that show and then that inspired a show last year with burlesque which i co-produced with gidget bardo and sylvie onyx um, where we did another Tom Waits tribute show, and I was able to get Macabre Noir and Deville, uh, Lilith Deville, to come back down. Can you tell me about how 
your burlesque family influenced how you are as a burlesque performer and this aesthetic that you carried with you to Nashville? For the last 10 years, um, there was an event called the Atrocity Exhibition that my burlesque mom and um, some other core members of Cabaret Vulgaire and then people outside of that um, would help put on. And it was this like immersive theater experience where it was a variety show um, with like a really elaborate theme and really in-depth costuming. So everything was super cohesive. And I think I joined the cast after I debuted. That was maybe year seven. And I think the theme was uh, witches of like the Hoya Baichu um, Romanian forest. I think they, they got like very, very specific. It, it was a gorgeous event. It's, it was always, um, we, we jokingly call it like goth prom. And yeah, it ran for 10 years and last year was the last one. And I was very fortunate to be a part of four, yeah, four shows of the 10. So yeah, the first one was Witches. The second one was Alice in Wonderland. And that's where I built my um, garden, my talk garden act. I think the show after that was Dante's Inferno. That's where I built my harpy act. And then the last show was based on Halloween. So I did my uh, Black Widow. One of my favorites is your garden act, which is for the um, Alice in Wonderland show. And it is incredibly beautiful, super creepy. Um, I saw it for the first time at the Nashville Burlesque Festival. And there's so many elements to it. It is incredibly cohesive, but there's a lot that happens and one of the parts of the act or one of the parts of your costume is you have this wind up on your back, right? Yeah, it's a spinning key because I wanted to kind of look like a wind up doll that got left in a garden and then just kind of got like overtaken by the flowers. And it's based on the talking garden that Alice meets in uh, Through the Looking Glass. At the end of your act, the wind up spinny key stopped right when the music stopped. Like how, how did you produce such like magic and witchcraft like how does that work that was an enormous gamble on me not changing the batteries in uh that key so when i i guess i took a bow at the end and it either disconnected or the batteries just wore out at the exact same time that the last note played and then everyone lost their goddamn minds and i didn't understand why (laughs) yep uh so that it was a very happy accident it was a very uh serendipitous beautiful accident i think that is the best accident i've ever heard about besides like myself of course love you mom um (laughs) i think that that is such an incredible accident i like i don't even know how you would plan that i don't have that kind of brain but you do so more let's dig a little bit more about that act if you're okay with it um you have these puppet face flower things um, in your act. Um, if they go to your website, sophiedumal.com, they can see this in your burlesque acts page. This act was the first thing I built as, I think, kind of a, in a... It's an original interpretation of an established character because um, it already existed in pop culture, but it, it was kind of the first thing that I drew and then completed, and it was exactly like the sketch I uh, I produced and I and planned everything and I had so much help from uh, my my partner at the time Sean uh, who performed for a little bit he's retired now but his name is Weston Peace and he's brilliant um, we met at school going for special effects so we used a lot of those skills to uh, build these puppets I have one hand puppet that is my face and then there's a blink mechanism 
Um, and one of them is a tiger lily and the other one is a violet. Uh, so we took a life cast of my face. So when I press a lever inside the puppet face, um, the eyes blink. Um, and it's hard to see if you're at the back of the venue, but it's real fun to like get up into someone's face in the front row and then like just have the puppet blink. It's real fun to see that reaction. Oh, it is so creepy and unnerving and beautiful and just the process that you're describing of you making this is beyond anything that I think I'd be capable of or could even imagine. Like this is this is so this is such a cool act. But yeah, that spinning key. Um Sean built that. The two of you are such like incredible, like creative and like weird as fuck people that like in this moment of time, like in this like phase of your life like, you made, like, really cool shit. But, yeah, it's been, like, a very amicable, supportive split. So I'm glad that our friendship has remained intact and we're still rooting for each other. Yeah, and I really, yeah, I really wanted to give Sean credit in, like, all the help that he's given me in building these acts. Where, like, he's suggested ideas and then, like, physically helped or, like, just built on his own these pieces that have become like signature acts for me. So I only want everyone to know how much like he's helped and influenced me as well. Do you think like this working relationship will continue? Um, I'm hesitant to ask him for any help um, in building future things. I don't have anything like elaborate planned. When we were talking through divorcing and everything, one of his, uh, grievances was that he helped me a lot but sometimes I wouldn't help him with the the same things but I felt like he didn't ask me a lot of the time he would just help me and then go do his own thing and -hmm. I would ask like hey do you need help building that and he'd be like no I got it so I think maybe there was a disconnect or a miscommunication maybe or maybe like Maybe he wasn't communicating what he needed, or maybe he did ask for help one time, and, like, I was so self-absorbed, like, I didn't realize he was asking. Yeah, so I, mm-hmm. like, I feel super guilty if he ever felt uh, neglected or that I didn't give him the same help that he gave to me. Um, so I always want to be clear now when I'm talking about these projects that have happened, like, what has been a collaboration between us and, like, what work he has put into it. Um, right. That's fair. I really respect that. Yeah, but he's a he's an excellent dude and a fantastic, brilliant artist, and he doesn't give himself enough credit. Um, and I understand like why he wasn't super interested in continuing to perform, but I hope he like he's still doing amazing creative things. Like he's turning his uh, Toyota Corolla into like a weird Halloweeny like Mad Max car now. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. Um, if you're listening, you should definitely look up, uh, you should look up, I can't even say his name because I'm going to laugh. Weston Peace. You should, you should look up Weston Peace's Instagram and see this car transformation happening. It is wild. Tell me more about all of this attention to detail that you have, this creativity from you know, painting to animatronics and puppetry and music, all the stuff that you do is just really incredible. Have you always been 
a creative child? Like, did that? Where did that come from? Like, I know your dad is Tom Waits, and your mom is my really is wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. My dad is Tom Waits, my burlesque mom is Macabre Noir, and then my real mom is Susie Sue of Susie and the Banshees. Um, yeah, I, yeah, thank you for all those nice things that you just said. Um, it's all true. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I've always been into um, creating 2D and 3D art um, with whatever materials I can afford or get my hands on. <laughs> um, like, that poor artist life is a fact and a struggle. So I think though, sometimes having these limitations or parameters forces you to get really creative. And yeah, there are some things that I've like worked at and my skills have gotten better and they're, Oh, sorry. (laughs) My dog is going crazy. Digging at the floorboards. That's okay. It's my, uh, my neighbor that I put under there because I couldn't stand his heartbeat. It was so fucking loud. Hey, you should Um, write a poem about that. Oh shit. You're right. I can make a million dollars only after I'm dead. Maybe. Um, (laughs) Fingers crossed. Luna, come here. Um, Yeah, I've always been interested in the arts and interested in music. Um, It's strange, though. Like, I don't feel super creative musically sometimes or sometimes even building things because a lot of my stuff is influenced by pop culture. And I'll put my own spin on it. But, like, a few times I've come up with an original character. But most of the time I just feel like I'm a good parrot. Or, like, a good kind of, or not even good, just, like, I interpret other people's ideas sometimes in my own style, and I don't want to be the Tim Burton of burlesque. (laughs) Um, Why do you feel like you're a parrot? It's strange. When I was, okay, I was in a band uh, when I lived in Pittsburgh. We were called Dream Phone. Um, (laughs) and before I left, we did like a, a tiny EP of like two songs that was really fun. And then when I left, uh, they got a new singer and then reconfigured some stuff around and then recorded like a, a full length album. Um, but I was always so scared to write my own music because I just didn't have the experience or I don't know. I was just afraid that it was going to, uh, just completely suck ass, but I was always so good at taking other people's ideas if they would tell me, like, it's these chords. I'd be able to play it instantly. Or they'd show me something once, and then I'd just do it. Um, I didn't really have to be, like, handheld or taught things, but I didn't feel very creative. Like, I contributed creatively. Like, I would help every once in a while, but I feel like um, some of my other band members were definitely like the John Lennon and <laughs> Paul McCartney. And I was like, I'm Ringo. I'm here to help. Ringo's um, cool, too. I mean, that's Marjinson's favorite Beatle. I know. She's not wrong. He's pretty cool. What's that Venn diagram of being an artist is kind of like this narcissistic, um, this huge ego that you have. And then the other is just this like crippling self-doubt. It's like at the same time wanting to always create and show off what you're making. And then at the other time wanting to hide it because you think it's terrible. Are you usually that hard on yourself when it comes to the work that you're making? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know a lot of people are like their own worst critic and everything. And they, yeah, are super insecure or like fearful of what they're going to put out is going to be terrible. Um, or just like not as good as the last thing that they made. So I, I feel like I've come a long way pushing past that and just making things just for the hell of it. 
when I was first starting, I was always like very timid and very intimidated by, um, especially like making up my own choreography. Like that's the most terrifying thing of a person without a dance background. <laughs> I think that's been my, my biggest hurdle as a burlesque performer. Cause I love making costumes and like interpreting characters for nerdlesque things. But um, yeah, coming up with dancey dance things has been a source of great stress. <laughs> I am also not a dancer. Um, but now you have a role. You're one of the performers at, Skull's Rainbow Room, the historic Skull's Rainbow Room in Nashville. Is that forcing you to be a little more dancey? Can you tell me about what it's like performing at Skull's, how that kind of differs from the shows that you've done for a Dirty Nerdy or with your burlesque family? Skull's has been a fantastic uh, opportunity to dance on a regular basis with a live band for an audience that is, most of the time, um, it's very tourist-heavy. Um, cause it's a great tourist destination, but there are still a lot of locals who come out, but a lot of it is improv. Um, we get our songs beforehand and we know what we're going to dance to and we do rehearse. Um, or I mean, I do rehearse. I'm not going to speak for other people, but a lot of it is, um, audience interaction and just playing with the band, with the musicians. Um, so that has been a fantastic exercise to get out of my, uh, fear of like, yeah, not being a trained dancer or having experience like nailing choreography and just being a lot more free. Can you tell for our audience who might not be familiar with Nashville what you cannot show versus what you could do in like Pittsburgh or in a private studio? So in Nashville, um, blue laws state that if you are in a venue that has a liquor license that sells alcohol during a show, you have to hide your underboob, which is exactly what you think it is. It's the air, like, beneath your areola to the crease of your breast. And then you have to obviously hide like your genitalia. And then you have to hide your vortex, your vortex, which is the area where your legs and your buttocks and your like undercarriage all meet. So when you bend over, like everything has to be covered. Like you can't show your butt crack or like any sort of like clefts or crevices. Ah, yes. Um, The portal to hell. Yeah. You get sucked down directly into it. If you look at someone's butt crack as you're drinking a beer. You'd think that like old gray-faced Republican men would want women to be as naked as possible. Um, but it's because we're deciding to be naked. It's not okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, I definitely started in Pittsburgh and, um, yeah, I love my, uh, burlesque mama very much. She taught me, um, that initial foundation. Um, and I just joined her class to basically network with other people who wanted to be performers because I wanted to uh, create costumes for them. I didn't plan on performing. Whoa. Um, Wait, I had no idea about that. Okay, that's how you've met my costumer, Hattie Box yeah. of Sarah Haley Studio. She is. She did the same thing. Yeah. I, we got peer pressured into it, I think. Yeah. I think so, too. Okay, so you were there to study, to study what people needed to do and needed to take off when. Is that right? Yeah, and to meet people who uh, didn't have the skills or the time to make their own costumes, um, because I just always loved costuming as a hobby. I'm kind of self-taught. Yeah, I don't have a degree in uh, in costuming or fashion design or anything. It was always something I just kind of did on the side, and then I would, like, fall into jobs 
doing that. So I guess like I'm, I'm decent at it, but yeah. Then the first day of class, uh, Macab was like, okay, who plans on taking this to the stage? And everyone around me raised their hands. And then she just fucking glared at me <laughs> until I like reluctantly raised my hand as well. And that's how we knew that that is your mother. Yeah. That's my mom. And she guilted me into doing this. How did your journey, I guess, continue into Music City? I was a little not discouraged. I was surprised because the scene I came from in Pittsburgh, um, there were a lot of alternative and neo and spooky performers. And then when I got to Nashville and started to check out some of the local shows, it was very sparkly and classic. And uh, I was a little worried. I was like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to fit in. But very, very shortly after I came here, a few um, performers graduated together from delinquent debutantes and they formed their own troupe uh, called Divination. And that was the first show I did in Nashville. And they were kind of like the spooky neo-alternative kids. So in your work, a lot of what you do explores darker themes. You have a darker kind of gothy aesthetic. I feel like goth at prom, like you said earlier, describing the um, atrocity like experiences like gothy prom feels like an accurate way to describe you very glam very very beautiful if the character calls for it but always very dark um and you have a really fun and kind of dark sense of humor that is definitely true have you always been a spooky child were you born a pumpkin like what yeah what happened? so my mom was walking through a pumpkin patch one day and a bat kind of like landed in her hair and in her frenzy to like get it out. She tripped over a pumpkin and it cracked open and I was laying there. So she just kind of scooped me up and that was that. Your mother, Susie Sue, right? Yeah. My, yeah. My mom, Susie mm-hmm. Sue. Um, and then she got into the back of an old Oldsmobile with like a burning, I don't know what it was called, like an oil can full of like dried leaves was on fire. And Tom Waits was like toasting some, a can of beans over it. Yeah. I think I've always been interested in... Like, I grew up on The Addams Family, um, both the TV show and then the movies, um, and then The Munsters as well, and then Abbott and Costello, like, meet the Wolfman or Dracula. Like, that was on, like, heavy rotation at our house. Like, my mom and my grandma basically raised me. They weren't super interested in any of that, but they kind of just let me do what I wanted because I was an only child. Your acts are incredibly entertaining and very much like steeped in pop culture. And you have this Godzilla act that you'll be performing at the Nashville Burlesque Festival. It is hilarious and creative and like really weird, which is exactly what I want all the time. Um, So the other (laughs) thing is like, you know, off of that, you're also a quarter Japanese. And I remember... At your first Burley Con in 2018, uh, we were kind of talking about what we wanted our weekend to look like, and I told you that you could not miss the POC caucus that was happening. You had a major hesitation, and and I think that was a really interesting discussion. Can you tell me more about your Godzilla act and you know why you had that hesitation of attending the POC caucus? So my mom's mom, my maternal grandmother, uh, was Japanese and she raised me because my mom was a single mom and had to work. Um, so I was 
always around my grandma and always um, learning from her and like learning how to cook Japanese food and watching um, like Japanese TV and stuff. Um, she was like fairly uh, naturalized and Americanized um, where she would speak a lot of English in the house. Um, she only really spoke Japanese to me when she was yelling at me. So I know how to like yell at little kids in Japanese when they're being assholes. But um, yeah, it's because I, I feel like I'm very white passing. I've had instances where people will look at me and just straight up ask me like, what are you? I think they're just trying to make conversation or they just think that I'm interesting looking, but like, how do you answer that question? Um, I, ask them to clarify because I'm like well I'm from I'm American I'm from St. Louis like what do you mean and they'll just say something like oh you look different or your eyes look kind of different or your bone structure or whatever um and they at then they'll clarify and be like well what's your ethnic background um so I'll tell them like I'm a quarter Japanese um and then just like a mix of a like white white like European nonsense of like Welsh and Irish and like Scottish uh and there's like some Norwegian in there we found out but um yeah my mom found out that her mother was like the first person in her family to marry a non-Japanese person and yeah my mom and her sister were born in Japan and came over when they were in like junior high to America but yeah, I've always like I I don't know. I do not want to identify as a person of color because I feel like maybe if I was half Japanese, then I would feel more comfortable identifying as a POC. Um so when you invited me to the POC caucus at BurleyCon, I was definitely like I am too white for this. I'm too watered down <laughs> even though I have like a cultural connection like being raised by my grandmother, I still feel like I don't want to take up space in this place that is, like, definitely a haven and just uh, kind of a sanctuary for people to get away and, like, talk to each other about a shared experience. So I ended up going and just, like, sitting with my mouth fucking shut and just, like, <laughs> listening to everyone. Um, and I think the icebreaker, GG Holiday... Uh, was one of the moderators, and she just kind of had us go around the room and say, like, what our name was, um, we're, like, what city we performed in, how long we've been performing, and then our favorite food from our culture, or, like, whatever culture we kind of identified from. And then people had different answers if they were uh, from, like, a multicultural background. Um, when people looked kind of, like, ambiguous where you couldn't tell exactly like if they were maybe there were a few other people in there who were more white passing um so when someone would say like oh my favorite thing was like gyoza or um i think when it came around to me i was like i really love okonomiyaki which is like a great way to clean out your fridge you just make this cabbage pancake and like pan fry it and it's delicious but yeah it was interesting to see like people connect the dots or like that click of realization of like oh that's what you are <laughs> as people explained like what food they really love you know getting that reaction that you did you know that that sigh and that also kind of common like oh yeah like i'm familiar with this concept um does that make you feel like you belonged in the room definitely anymore? yeah um i'm still like i will still always be hesitant to 
take up space. I don't think I'll ever be comfortable calling myself a person of color. Yeah, when I first started, I kind of considered having uh, a stage name uh, because there's a character from, or there's a, she's a spirit from Japanese culture. She's a ghost um, called Yukiona, which translates to Snow Woman. I toyed around with the idea of being called Yuki Fatal, and someone in my class kind of surprised me because I, I didn't expect uh, something like this to come out of her mouth. But she she was like, oh, my God, I really think you should uh, be called that. I love Japanese culture because I love hentai. Ah. Or she was just, like, rattling off things. And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm just going to – I'm just not going to touch that. <laughs> I'm just going to go with Sophie Sophie Dumal and just have a very um, – like, it, it translates to knowledge of evil. You grew up around Japanese culture very, very much, like, around – pop culture in general, um, talk to me about your Godzilla act, which you'll be doing, as I mentioned, at the Nashville Burlesque Festival. I hear is a riot. Tell me, tell me about that act. Um, so this is like as close to Japanese culture as I think I'm ever going to like put on stage as a character because it, uh, Godzilla is just a pop culture icon, um, and not even remotely, I guess, like, culturally or spiritually significant. (laughs) And I just wanted to be, like, a radioactive showgirl lizard. And I, like, I build a cardboard city, and uh, I destroy it every time at the end of the act. And I think part of the fun of it is the anticipation that I'm dancing around this city and kind of, like, teasing it, like, flicking at it and things, and, like, getting ready. And then at the end, when I'm down to pasties and everything that's when i just like lose my goddamn mind and like flail all over it and rip it apart and give it the people's elbow you've hurt yourself doing that before, oh like right? every fucking time yeah i can't because you have to i mean you are you are a committed artist if there's anything that i think people should take from this very beautiful call that we've had with lots of honesty and truth and and all of that is that like i'm a dumbass who will do anything <laughs> for a laugh but yeah i just love that the original uh, Godzilla movie two was an allegory about the horrors of nuclear war and like the the effects of nuclear radiation. Um, and yeah, everyone sees it as like this kind of schlocky like B monster movie with like guys in rubber suits and like you can see every <laughs> everything on a string and on a wire. But um, yeah, I would hear stories from my grandma she was a teenager during world war ii and her neighborhood she lived in tokyo with her family and her neighborhood was destroyed by um allied bombers and she would tell us stories about how she could smell like burning flesh like burning humans in this her like bond out neighborhood and she had to like escape to the countryside with her like, her mom and her sisters already went, but she she hated uh, the country, so she stayed in the city for as long as possible. And then finally, um, when they were in, like, terrible danger, like, she and her dad and brothers, like, picked up their backpacks filled filled with, like, canned food and, like, made a run for it. Um, so, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that, just, like, talking about World War II. <laughs> That's okay. That's... Nuclear bombs and Godzilla. And like Godzilla um, is serious. I peep, Godzilla is serious business. This act is serious business. Godzilla is no, serious it, business. No, it's very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but Shin yeah, Godzilla. To Tom Waits song. Of course, it's a Tom Waits song. You have to pay homage to your dad. I think it's like the fifth or sixth uh, Tom Waits act I have. I like it. I like. I'm excited to see this act. I had a really, really big existential crisis uh, after watching a Godzilla movie, uh, Shin Godzilla. If anyone has seen it. Um, you, if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. But uh, Shin Godzilla is a great movie, but absolutely changed the course of my life. Uh, that is definitely a story from for another day. I am so excited to see this Godzilla act. And I thank you for sharing this about your family and about you. Like, this is personal. As, as hammy as it is and as dumb as it is, I mean, you know, the people's elbow is very personal. Like, you know... All of it. It's a it's a sacred, uh, sacred tradition news. passed down from my grandma. <laughs> Sophie Dumal from Nashville, the thing that goes bump and grind in the night. Thank you so much for talking with me on the Pasty Tapes. Where can people find you on the internet? Thank you, my sweet baby dumpling. Um, so I'm on Facebook as Sophie Dumal. It's D-U and then a space M-A-L. Um, I'm on Instagram uh, as well, just my name, all smushed together, no underscore, just Sophie Dumal. Um, I also have a Patreon. Um, you have to key it in, though, because it is 18 and up, because I show, uh, like, naughty bits and things. I have not-safe-for-work content, so people um, can't just put my name in the search bar. So it's patreon.com slash Sophie Dumal um, if you want to hear me sing songs or, like, see me in various states of undress or like see original artwork um that's all there i'm trying to be more vigilant about or like uh update it more than i have been um because life has gotten a, a little bit hectic but i think that's and then yeah i have my website uh just sophiedumal.com where i have examples of burlesque things and then some of my uh like makeup commission stuff yes oh so exciting Thank you so much for chatting with me. I will make sure everything we referenced shows up on our Instagram from, you know, the picture of your garden act to stuff um, Sean has done. And it'll be such a treat for the eyes. You are such a treat. Thank you so much for chatting with me on the Pasty Tapes. Thank you. Thanks again, Sophie. Stay tuned for a mini episode to drop where I tell that Godzilla story and maybe I'll also share some of Sophie's first memories of me. Welcome to the newest members of the Pacey Tapes fan club, Dixie Disaster, Elizabeth O, and Mother Girth. Special thanks to friend-level supporters Tony Tabasco, Kits and Sass, and Rosalie Bloom. Special shout-out to superfan BFF-level supporters Kyle H., The Man with a Hat, and Bella Adana. If you want to join the Pasty Tapes fan club, get merch, and have me shout you out on air, visit thepastytapes.com. Or send me an email if you want to do something big. You can always, always, always contact me at thepastytapes at gmail.com or on the Pasty Tapes hotline, and that's 1-530-PASTIES. I want to start gathering tales of BurlyCon. Do you have some advice you want to share about the biggest burlesque education and social convention? Shoot me an email, or you can call or text the Pasty Tapes hotline at 1-530-PASTIES. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow The Pasty Tapes at The Pasty Tapes on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely visit the website, thepastytapes.com. 
I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet. Please tell all your friends about the podcast, share it, hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, share a screen grab when you're listening, tell me your thoughts on an episode, please validate this project because I need it. Thanks again, and I will talk with you soon. You have been listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings. Happy September. I'm going to be gearing up for a busy as fuck month. I'll be out of Chicago for like the next three weeks straight. Definitely gone every weekend this month. I'll be at Afro Tees by Vanessa Chevelle in Richmond, Virginia, dancing and teaching all weekend, September 7th through the 8th. You can see my class, Cooler on the Internet, on September 7th. I'll be zipping into Nashville for the Nashville Burlesque Festival. I'll be there September 11th through the 16th. I'm kittening on Thursday, September 12th at Corsair Distillery, and I'm performing in the Saturday Spectacular on 914 with my brand new dumpling act. On the 17th, I'll be in Philadelphia. I'll be there the 17th through the 22nd for Burlesque and Beyond. Come catch me around all weekend. I'm on the panel at Launchpad Burlesque on the 19th, and I'm performing Friday night. That's the 20th. And I'll be teaching my workshop, Cooler on the Internet, the 21st.